Hey everybody, it's time to roll for intent with the Creator's Corner. I'm Trevor, but you knew that, right? And I'm Christian. Why, why are we doing this at the beginning? We, we always do I this at the end. Know. I don't know, man. <laughs> it's been a few weeks since we've done one of these. And the last time we did one of these, I was sick and I was like all medicated and stuff. I know you were you were barely getting through that one. I felt so bad. <laughs> it was rough. I listened back to him like, oh, why? I sound like I'm 900 years old. <laughs> and then, you powered through like a champ. And though. then Kingmaker, like the king rules. Yeah, I'm going to take a nap now. <laughs> it wasn't too horrible. Oh, it was. Now, unlike our last episode of that we recorded, which was King Ming, you're not the last one you guys heard. But today we have something we're super excited about and have looked through and it is awesome. There is no other words for it. (laughs) There's just simply too much to go over in one. So this is going to be one of a few, probably just like we did with the travel guide, because there's too much to cover under one and All of these sections, or at least a few of these sections, really need their own time to marinate in your minds because they're that good. They're they're worth more than just a quick gloss over. Absolutely. This is this is a a chunky book, I believe. It's what, 300? Yeah, 340 pages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's pretty dang good. I think it's one of the largest settings books outside of the uh, Absalom book. Which is saying something, because that Absalom book is real big. Impossible lands here that we're looking at. I just feel like you've been dropped into Borderlands, and they're like, go. <laughs> oh, yeah, especially like the chapter on the mana wastes. It looks like something straight out of Mad Max. It's like magical Mad Max, and I love it. Yeah, I just, I, I'm looking through this thing, and I'm like, wow, this one here is like Borderlands, and these are all the DLCs right here. <laughs> they, they all add up to it perfectly. <laughs> So just a a broad overview of what Impossible Lands is. It is a look at some of the stranger places in Galarian. Um, Nex, Geb, the Mana Wastes, Alkenstar, Jalmaray. Those are the big, big sections of the book that they talk about adventuring in them. And the lore is super duper duper deep. And it doesn't even stop it there. They have really interesting stuff about ancient Assyrian and the Queen of Ebon Feathers, which was really, really cool to read about. I'd I'd love to talk about her or or like weave her into a game eventually. She's super neat. But they also have more ancestry to add it in this sense. I think the ancestry guide, I think there's even more in here than in Moangi Expanse, or maybe it's equal to Moangi Expanse. I should have did a comparison. I will say that these ancestries, for the most part, are each a lot nicer, maybe more filled out than the ones in Moangi Expanse, because my sad little frog boys didn't get nearly enough to be considered their own ancestry in Moangi Expanse, unfortunately. Same thing with the Anandi. Yeah, they were. And I like they at least went back and eradicated that because at first they were, oh, you can't even cast spells when you're in your sp- normal natural spider form and everyone's like what the hell why i can't cast spells hey, like man, this. if it's good enough for a druid it's good enough for a spider bro i guess so i i like the layout here especially because they hit you with an introduction they go into a little bit of history they drop the ancestries on you which does also include new heritages for the flesh warps the genie kin the 
Oh, shoot. Help me out. Tiefling. There's we got Tiefling. T- yes, Tiefling. Is there a fourth one or is there just three? I think it's just those four. The problem is that they're kind of mixed up a little bit with the ancestries. Yeah. Um, but they do talk about how all of the different ancestries and then some of the more monstrance, monstrance, monstrous ancestries as well that we would have had in one E, like Nagas and uh, Rakshasas and Azadas all um, interact within these regions as well. Um, and I know you're really into the flesh warp, so you had to be digging that. I, I really like that cataphract flesh warp. It is freaking rad. Yeah, it was. There's some really cool things in here. I particularly like, too, how each regions where I'm not obviously a, you know, big on my Galarian lore, but the way they've broken this down in the book is you have each regions like Alkenstar and they talk about different, you know, locales in there. But at the end of each one, there is this little section called adventuring in and then insert region name. And that has all of your player information. And, and there is a lot. There is spell catalysts. There's familiars. There's animal companions. There's curses. There's magic items. I mean, there is, between all of these regions, there's just about every type of thing for players here. So by no means is this, you know, oh, I don't play in Galarian. I can skip this. No, you, you've got to get this. We're finally getting some magical tattoos. Woohoo! I will say, too, of the ancestries, three of them are rare and the other two are uncommon. It's it's pretty cool that they have the they well, put that's three rare they, ones in here. They did it that in the Mwangi Expanse, too, because like Anandi is rare and so is Galoma and so is Shisk and so is Kanrasu. So like I think almost most at least most of the ancestries outside of, I think, Noel. I think Noel was the Noel and maybe Gripley were the only uncommon ancestries in Mwangi Expanse. The rest were rare, I think. That sounds about right. Though, I love, I love the uh, ancestries they put in here. Um, none of them feel like they're tacked on or like they're, or their niche has been taken by another ancestry that's been released already. We have at least one ancestry. I think actually two ancestries that are back um, from 1E. Uh, and, my, you know, there were, how many races did one he have? There's like 38. There was 38 well, yeah. or 40. It was pretty insane. Uh, if you include the monstrous races, I think we were pushing 50. Uh, but it's really cool how they're able to keep finding interesting design space to create new ancestries that feel unique, that seem unique, that seem to have a unique culture and a unique morphology and a unique place in the world. I, I really dig it. There, there's a lot of work in just these, you know, oh, we've never seen these things before. They're rare. They're from this region only. But they have a really rich culture, and we get to we get to hear about that, and we get to read about that. It's neat. And just like the Moangi Expanse, this book, you know, there's a, a very large section before they get into the new stuff of how everything fits in here. Humans, halflings, dwarves, elves, you know, what are they like in this region? Because obviously everything is affected by the region it lives in and it makes it a little different. And they even cover things that, you know, aren't PC ancestries. There, there are monsters in here that are intelligent, that live in the area, like, you know, Rakshasas and Nagas. They, they are a, a large enough group in this area that they talk about them and because people are interacting with them here. So I thought that was pretty cool. 
part of me wonders if that's foreshadowing for future Paizo properties where we'll finally get some more monstrous races like Nagas and Rakshasas like we did in one I'm not hoping necessarily for that, but I'm just saying it, it may happen. I don't mind that stuff just because, you know, there there are certainly people that really enjoy it. And I you know, I don't mind dipping into the monster side. I back in second edition, I had a Minotaur that I loved, but that was, you know, most of the time I like to try to keep it a, a little <laughs> under control. My first PC was a Sahagin that was adopted by a sea witch. So I dig monstrous races. So let's talk about the ones that they actually put in here. Um, we've got, uh, is it four? Four here five. or is it five? Excellent. We get another plant ancestry. We get the Gorons, which are, I don't want to say they're grown up leshies. <laughs> they're, they're a little bit like grown up leshies, but they were a, a ancestry that was created as food. One of two ancestries in this book that were chattel at one point, um, or were considered as chattel. And they talk about how the Gorons gained the majority, right? you know, in the, the classical political philosophy sense of majority, right? By shaping themselves into more anthropomorphic plant people. And that's what the Gorons are. It's not like a Leshy, which is a construct that's been created by a druid and then given a spark of life, right? These are a sentient plant species that's effectively immortal that has a seed inside of them and they plant them at the end of their 20 year cycle or whatever. They're effectively immortal. They're neat. But Paizo's done something a little bit different that they haven't been doing as often. Um, I think there's only like four or five ancestries that are extant already that are doing this, but they went the route of like one set and one free ability boost rather than like two boosts of free and a, a penalty. I don't know how I feel about that, honestly, because I kind of like the, the build space that that occupies when you have to take a flaw to get what you want, which you can manage that by doing voluntary flaws, but you can't do that as in depth with these as you can with like taking a dwarf and taking another flaw to maybe boost his strength and something else. Right. Yeah, I agree. I'm not. Well, I, I guess I, in one sense, I don't agree in the sense I'm not on the fence about it. I just, I'm not a fan. I don't mind doing it, you know, for maybe one or two of the ancestries here, but they, they've done it for every single one of them that your ability boost is one set and one free. And just like you said, it, it is almost like they're systematically eliminating this flaw. And, you know, I grew up in the ways, you know, dwarves couldn't even be wizards. And they had magic resistance and poison resistance. So that's kind of how it started. And it's progressed, of course, that now anything can be anything. But I like the dwarves not having, you know, that penalty to charisma. You know, you're not going to have a a dwarf sorcerer all the time or a dwarf summoner. But when you do, they really do stand out because someone focused on doing that. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with having these in inherent setbacks because these all of these ancestries are different. With the beauty of the math, the way that it is, and the power curves in 2E, the way that they are, just taking a flaw in something that you, like, want but don't need isn't a deal breaker every time, right? You can, you can build your character around some of those flaws. And then since we have the voluntary flaw, you can overcome some of that stuff as well anyway. 
So yeah, I, I do like having more flaws and having something that seems to have like a sharper edge towards a specific purpose, you know, not necessarily pigeonholing the ancestry, right? But differentiating it in a more meaningful way. Not to say that these aren't differentiated in meaningful ways. They have a lot of neat stuff and we should probably get into that eventually. Um, but I did want to touch on that, that all of these ancestries are one free, one set. No more two, one free, two set, one minus, right? Uh, and depending on how you feel about that, you know, you may be happy or unhappy. I will also say that none of the ancestries that were presented in here have a mental stat bonus, which may make some of you sad. They're all dex, con, or strength. And the Gorons are in the con category. They get an extra uh, boost to con, uh, and they are plants, so they photosynthesize. So back to the whole leshy thing of they don't necessarily have to eat. And I do want to say one thing before we get too far off of it is, you know, we have no idea if this is like a standard going forward or is this just something they started doing for this book and future ancestries from other books are going to be the normal format or different. But this is what they did with this book. And we noticed the difference and we were both like, oh, I'm not crazy about this. <laughs> but yes, this these do have some very, very fun heritages there's the ancient ash the enchanting lily the strong oak the thorned rose oh is there only four there is only four there's usually I five mean, that's pretty common that's pretty common oh, isn't there there's just I think four. most have five don't they i don't know but i really dig the ancient ash and the thorned rose a lot like the ancient ash i am like theory crafting a thaumaturge with ancient ash and the tome because they get that whole rotating skills that they want every day so the tome gives you two and ancient ash gives you one every day and a level five becomes an expert and you can change that skill every day you can you can be a skill monkey without going rogue because you can say okay well Today is a day that we're going to be trying to solve this puzzle or we're going to be researching. Okay, well, today I am trained in religion because we're researching undead. I dig that. Uh, I, I know that me and Christian have talked about that uh, in reviews of other content, how that can sometimes lead to more metagaming. Um, that's not necessarily good, but if it makes sense thematically, like the ancient ash is supposed to be one of these functionally immortal things that is so old that it's forgotten more things than most people remember so it makes sense that oh wait hold on what was i 15 generations ago oh it was a craftsman and i made leather work stuff okay well, I, I think i could do that again let me let me recall that information i dig it i love the ancient ash i think it's cool and it's there's several feats that allow you to get more proficiency in those skills that you've chosen as your daily skill i really dig it there is a lot going on with these guys and their feats. They have a, a ton of options that let you really kind of dovetail into most, you know, class options that you might explore with these things. And really looking through all of these ancestries, I feel like they kind of stepped up the power level a tiny bit. Oh, what yeah. do you think? You know, most of your other ancestries, the feats were like, well, this is kind of fun. I'm going to go with that. And I feel it was way more flavor than function. And in this book, I really feel like they stepped it up. So it is both flavor and function that there is a lot more. There's a lot more bite to these feats than other ancestries. 
I think they kind of listened to the community a bit because after Mwangi Expanse, there was a little bit of grumbling about how some of these ancestries just kind of felt tacked on and they, they, they didn't have enough differentiation or enough cool feats because there's enough people, myself included, that enjoy playing like the Ancestral Paragon rule set, which is worthless if you're a Gripply or a Knoll or a Shisk because they got <laughs> like nothing going for them unless you take some variant heritage. Yeah, you're like, what do I, okay, what do I do with these extra feats? I got nothing to get. <laughs> exactly. And I know that's not a variant rule that everybody plays with, right? But it also means that you're going to have a lot less differentiation within a specific ancestry. Whereas like with a human or an orc or an elf, who, you know, you could make seven to ten different versions of them and pick different feats every single time to fit a different situation. That isn't always the case. And I really like that not only are the feats plentiful, but they're differentiated, powerful, and flavorful. And I also like that there are several of these that rely on you taking a specific heritage, which is not always the case. Give people reasons to take that ancestral heritage and not just a variant heritage every time. Because these things are humanoid. You can make a beastkin Gorin, no matter how ridiculous that sounds, you can do it. One of the feats, Hidden Thorn, and you gain a D6 piercing damage attack. You basically, you grow thorns, you gain this unarmed attack. It's a knife weapon group. It has finesse and unarmed. So, bam, you can use this with your sneak attack. Fifth level, there is a feat that called Murderous Thorns, and you have to have the Hidden Thorn, or you can be a Thorned Rose Heritage, so you can go either way, and you get to add a Deadly D6 to your unarmed attacks. So that's actually really good for a rogue, just I have a natural D6 attack that is also deadly d6 that i can apply my sneak attack and that's that cannot be taken away from me in any way shape or form and i don't know about you but when i'm gming and i see creatures that have swallow hole i just get so excited because i love eating the players and these guys actually have a really good chance of getting out (laughs) right between that and if you take thorn rose you get that wicked thorns reaction which allows you to uh, attack anything that hits you with an unarmed strike or a strike that didn't have a reach weapon. And it's not yeah. even an attack. They just take damage and they roll a reflex save. And if they fail, it's bleed damage. So cool. Like, I love the idea of making a barbarian Gorin. I think that would be so cool with the con benefit that they have. These things could be super duper beefy, even though there's a lot of feats in here that have to do with magic, right? You can go straight damage dealing nonsense with these things too. And defensive between the thorn and the perfume cloud. And those are things that aren't spells. They're just abilities. They don't have the concentrate trait. So you can use them as a barbarian, right? While you're raging. I think it's rad. I love it. Yeah, they have. They have a lot going on. But we got four more. We have to we have to. Keep I moving. know I really like the Gorin, though. So <laughs> this other one is the one that I really like, too. I really like the first two ancestries. They're so, the, so great. How, how do you pronounce Kashrishi? I think Kashrishi. I think that's what I'm going to go with is Kashrishi. Uh, come into our discord and yell at me if I'm wrong. Yeah, till someone tells us otherwise. Yep. Kashrishi. I like these guys. I think they're now, cute. I think they're awesome. 
these are adorable, small, mechanically small, rhino-looking things. <laughs> right, they're rhino-looking things that are intergenerationally mutagenic, so they can mutate to make their form more useful for the environment they're in. So there's a few interesting heritages within the ancestry, one of which gives them another pair of hands, which is always fun. They also are interesting. I think they're the only small race that gives you a D8 hit points. Maybe that not. may be true. Because I think all the others are a six. Although goblins have a heritage that lets you get up to right. eight, don't they? You can get... Un- well, yeah, no. Um, goblins have Unbreakable Goblin, which make them D10. So they're D8s. Goblins are D8s. Unbreakable okay. Goblin is a D8... Is a, D10, or just a 10. And it's not D, right? Yeah. It's just a 10. We know what you mean. And then Unbreakable Ur Goblin <laughs> is like a 14th level feat that makes them 12 hit points. Oh, okay. Yeah. I love these things. I think they're great. I think the art for these is fantastic. They look so unique, and yet you can see that it's still supposed to be a little Rhino Boy. Love it. They're stout, wide. They look powerfully built. Um... They're honestly what I imagine dwarves would look like most of the time without, you know, obviously they're they're hairless and, and have horns on their head. But like the proportions that when I think fantasy dwarf, that's the thought that I goes into my mind. Yeah, legs that are slightly shorter, arms that look almost slightly longer and just that really stout, powerful little boulder like frame. This is another constitution bonus ancestry uh, which makes sense they're little little stout things um and they have like a little horn that can glow whenever you cast one of the innate spells with a mental trait so it'll it'll cast light in the area you can use that horn as a weapon with certain ancestries as feet and feats as well um and they have this really neat thing that i like i think this is really cool um and it gives me concept ideas for this character yet again is the empathic sense which, if you're within 15 feet of something, you get a plus two bonus on perception checks to sense motive, which is great. And you guys, if you've listened to our show, you've listened to this show or our podcast, you know how much I love face characters and face skills. I, I would love to play a psychic Kashrishi. Now, these things are so cool. And they have... Some pretty interesting heritages. Like you said, the first one, uh, what is that? Athamasi. Not sure how we pronounce most of these things, but that's the one you were talking about where you have a small secondary set of limbs and you're adapted to climbing and hanging from trees. And like any other ancestry that kind of gives you this, I believe that you can kind of use them. I think the basic form, what can you do with that? You can't really do anything with them other than exactly you're not flat footed while climbing and you can climb even if your regular hands are full. So uh, that's actually a pretty big deal depending on the campaign or how how your GM does stuff. Uh, If you got to do a lot of climbing, these are pretty cool and there's feats that they can get further on that give them a climb speed as well. I do love things that give you a climb speed, actually. It's my favorite secondary form of movement. Well, I guess the Flesh Warp Heritage, one of them has something that allows you to have a feat here. And these guys do too. And 
another ancestry, I believe, has it. But there is some feats here that allow you to basically gain natural armor. And for these guys, it's called tough skin. And you gain a plus four item bonus to your AC. You have a dex cap of plus one, the check penalty of minus two and speed penalty of minus five, but also a strength value of 16. So, you know, clearly you're really not going to take this unless you're kind of that beefy character. So it's a way to reintroduce a natural armor class to your character. Yep. Back to these guys make great barbarians. I think they make great barbarians. I think they make great fighters. They make great. um, Even some of those classes that wouldn't necessarily be a heavy armor class, but can benefit from it like a thaumaturge. Yet again, uh, druids are a good one because of the, the druids, metal armor restrictions. Not metal. Yep. This is actually not the only ancestry that gets something like this. You'll, we'll, we'll get into that when we get to them, too. And interestingly enough, this is uh, this comes with a little rider and all of them that have this also have the rider. You can only take this feat at first level and you cannot retrain this feat. So you have to take it immediately or you're never getting it. Yep. Which makes sense. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but which that's really neat. Like if you're going for a uh, one of these ancestries, it's called nascent. It allows you to get an extra first level ancestry feat. So if you're going for, oh, yeah, I want this armor at first level, you can get it. Plus, you get your already your first level ancestry feat. And if you're playing an ancestral paragon, you get that third first level ancestry feat. You go walk hard right out the gate, man. <laughs> I, I like the Zyloshi heritage. The they have the thick neck muscles, and their horn gets. A, you can make an attack with the horn. It's a one d six piercing, and it's a brawling finesse and unarmed weapon. You mess with a Kashrisha, you get the horn. Yep, and there is no shortage of feats for your horn. Obviously, your magic glowy horn. <laughs> I think it's cool. I think these guys would make a great monk as well. Monk barbarian. I think these will fit in most things. These are neat. Like they are very cool. Ancestry feats fit a lot of different playstyles. This is another ancestry that gets a ton of feat support all through, uh, all through the list. We've got five fifth level feats. We got three ninth levels, two thirteens, and pretty rare. We've got two seventeenth level feats, and they are both really neat ones. So you're going to be struggling as to which one you want to get unless you're doing a. Uh, Unless you're doing an Ancestral Paragon build. Being able to cast Teleport innately. Whoo! Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Just so you guys have an idea of what we're talking about when we say, oh, the feet power has stepped up a tiny bit. Yeah, they have a feat called Bend Space. And you, you can cast Teleport as an innate occult spell. And you don't even have to be touching creatures. Yeah. So cool. They just have to be in range of your empath- your uh, empathic sense. Yep, that's a 15-foot radius. Uh, and then Cleansing Light is just a big burst of a fourth-level restoration spell once per day. Awesome. It's like up there with the Gonzi being able to cast, um, what is that, uh, uh, Breath of Life at 13th level as an innate spell as a reaction. So good. But yeah, no, these things are great. I love them. We've gushed enough about them. We're deep into this audio recording. We've still got at least two ancestries to do. Is it two or three? Oh, man. Ooh, next is the Nagaji. The 
the classic snake folk. And I will say I threw a little shade on this race because there is something that, you know, as everyone who plays Pathfinder in Galarian is aware, these are simply humanoids with snake heads. And to me, it's not a snake person unless it has a serpent lower half. It's just it's not right. And one of the heritages, that is exactly what you get. You instead of having more of a snake like torso, you have a human like torso and you have a serpent's you know, lower half. So y'all heard it here first, folks. Christian is here for the snake booty. Absolutely. This one has <laughs> a D10 hit points. Yeah, these things are pretty cool. These are definitely meant to be frontline fighters. They get a strength bonus. They have a poison with natural attacks. They can poison. They can envenom their weapons without you having to take feats to be able to, you know, add poison to a weapon. These are cool. I love these. These are really neat. And we were talking about this just the other day. You were complaining about strength and charisma ancestries this one's bonus is strength so you can put the yeah. other one in charisma <laughs> it's like my my perennial favorite the orcs can do strength and charisma get exactly what i need and these things are really neat the the heritages they have one that's like a spitting cobra type deal it can spit uh poison um and it does not have a crit specialization effect you have to take another feat to be able to have it do something special on a crit uh, you have the sacred Nagaji, which is the one that has the uh, the human torso, um, and they have bonuses against attempts to grapple or trip them or knock them prone. Anything that would do that, they get a bonus against it because it makes sense. They got to they got to. How are you going to trip a snake? How are you going to trip a snake, Christian? I don't think normal snakes in the game have a bonus against. Trip. I know they don't. They don't. <laughs> So I, I don't disagree with you. I'm just saying these are the first snakes that actually go along with that. You got the Titan Nagaji, which does everything that that Cash Rishi feat did as the heritage. It gives you that plus four item bonus to AC, dex cap a one, uh, check penalty minus two, speed minus five, a strength value 16. So these are meant for uh, beefcakes out the gate. And then we have the Venom Shield Nagaji. This is basically a you're resistant to poison. You gain a resistance poison equal to half your level. And plus one circumstance bonus to all saving throws against poison. And then Whip Fang, which gives them a hell of a neck. Turns them into Audrey Hepburn. They can stretch out and bite with impunity. They get an action that allows them to use one action to extend the range of their next natural attack by uh, five feet up to ten feet. So cool. I really like this too, the raised neck. I did this with my own uh, large ancestry and beast foundry, but they've done the exact same thing here. You basically have a single action that allows you to turn, you know, a, a attack into a reach attack, which when you make a large ancestry, that's the one thing that unbalances it is the fact that everyone expects a large ancestry to have reach. And this is kind of a step towards balancing that so that you can, you know, we might start seeing some large ancestries that now have abilities like this that allow you to you don't always have reach. So attacks of opportunity, things like that. But you're able to reach a little farther if you devote an action to it. So. Uh, very cool. We get another ancestry that has like some innate magic power 
due to their creation. So you have Nagaji spell familiarity and a feat chain that goes through that, that it gives you additional innate spells. So that's great again for those of you that are playing the psychic and you have that feat that lets you take all those ancestry granted spells and now they become psychic occult spells and get to use all your bonuses that you get for occult uh, spell attacks. So that's always neat. Well, I really enjoy the spell selection too with the detect magic mage hand or mage hand that or you choose between days detect magic or mage hand. So, you know, detect magic, obviously super useful no matter what class you are to be able to just ooh magic items. And then to me, mage hand is just such a great cantrip that if you're not a, if you're not worried about dealing damage, it's not your bread and butter. That's not your class. That ability to grab things and as you level up heavier things, even though, you know, you're in a prison cell and like, oh, look, there are the keys. I I right. always love Mage Hand. There's a feat that gives you an imprecise sense, which is always great. Little tongue flick action. Not lean into that snake bit. I will say now that you mention that, there is no ancestry in this book that has dark vision. No, they're all low light vision. Now there or, is or nothing. Right. They're like low light vision or nothing. Yeah. So I, I do enjoy that. I kind of feel like anymore, everyone just, oh, what? You don't, we don't worry about light because every single character has dark vision. In and our Abomination Vaults podcast, everybody's got dark vision. We don't even have to yeah. think about it. Which I, I get it is cool and handy, but at the same time, you know, when you're DM, you're like, oh, OK, well, I don't have to ever worry about that. Everyone's got dark vision, right? The these guys have my favorite feat so far. The hypnotic lure. It's a fifth level feat. It's basically a taunt. You can only do it once per hour. The target makes a will save against your class DC or spell DC. And if they fail. They must spend their first action to approach you. They cannot delay or take reactions until they have done so. So, you know, if you're the fighter, champion, barbarian, you're like, nope, you get over here to me and you can move away from your allies and you can have that enemy come at you. And it's great because targeting will, you get to use that against the big, beefy, you know, monster that you know probably doesn't have a high will. And you can pull that away from the rest of your party. And this is not an incapacitation effect either. They just get fascinated and stupid. I really like the serpent coil slam. It allows you to essentially snatch something out of the air and slam it onto the ground and keep it there for at least a round. Can't fly, levitate, or otherwise leave the ground for one round at least. If you crit, it lasts for a minute. So that's really great to have, especially if you're that whip fang that can get that that 10 foot reach snatch something out of the air super super cool close second for me the split skin oh so fun you, two actions if you are suffering from any persistent damage you literally can crawl out of your skin and remove that persistent damage persistent damage that has to do with something that's on your skin yes, like an acid yes. or a fire or something like that amazing flavor yeah very cool i can I, I can imagine one of these things just starting to try to rip its skin off as it's on fire and throw it across the room super neat uh, and you get up to level 17 they once again have two feats 
Just the minor things. Breath of Calamity that allows you to cast Chain Lightning once per day. <laughs> As a seventh level spell, mind you. Yes, so it's going to be heightened up once. <laughs> and the other one allows you to cast Prismatic Armor. Super cool. Yeah. Yeah, so as we said, kind of really heightening the the power level of feats here, which I love. I think it's awesome. Up next is probably my least favorite one in the book. Yeah, I kind of feel like they, you know, these monkey people, what are they, the Venara? Something like that? Venara. They seem very like Sun Wukong type theming going on. They can, you know, have feats that allow them to increase in size and shrink and all that fun stuff. Definitely thematic for like the type of cultures that they seem to try to be emulating for some of the impossible lands things. So it makes sense. I just. <sighs> a goblin with the tail does a lot of the same stuff for me. Yeah, I, mean, I, get, not I a... get why somebody would want to do this. It's just it doesn't scream out. Oh, this is really neat and unique. Like all the rest of them doing here, especially the next one. <laughs> Yeah, it, it it's kind of doubling down on a tailed goblin, but then like the majority of your feats are really more focused towards climbing and jungle living and things like that, which I mean, I don't yeah. mind. It. It's a you know, this this is an ancestry that is it lives in this geographical area. So you know, it lives here. So, yeah, it's an option. Right. So so there's there's some interesting stuff here, and it's mostly it really has to do with climbing and tail stuff, at least up till you get to about level nine. We've got Skillful Climber, which allows gives you a, a climb speed. Uh, jungle Runner, which allows you to ignore difficult terrain from underbrush. Um, depending on how what your campaign is, this could be great. It really could be. If you're going to be traipsing through the jungle, or if we get to the point where we have like a Ruins of Aslan tra- type game where it's traipsing through jungle and, and ruins and stuff. This could be really cool with the ability to climb and have that extra tail for manipulating things and dangling down from stuff to do things. Okay. I guess it's cool. They only get one 17th level feet. Poor little monkeys. They get which four is kind 13th of level though. They do. They do get four 13th level, which is nice. Uh, uh, they have one that allows them to like, if there's a mental effect that's taking over them, they can do a DC 17 flat check to try to fight it off like an additional check. And they have one thing that is kind of neat that they cannot, they, they get essentially the deny advantage feat um, as a 13th level feat, which allows it so that they can't be flanked or flat, flat footed by flanked undetected or hidden foes of their level or lower. That's kind of cool. I kind of dig that. That's neat. I was going to say, I did actually, I know we're no one's super crazy about the uh, disarming as a action, but I do kind of like the fact that they let you, there is one where you can spend an action and try to disarm with someone with your tail, which, you know, it just helps with the... Is that the disarm the one or is you, that the, the thief one? Because there's one that you can try to steal things, ignoring the fact that you can't normally steal outside of combat. That's kind of cool. I that one that is cool one. too. Uh, I don't like the level 17th feet unfettered pack is not that great for a 17th level feat and the fact that you're supposed to flavor it as you're pulling off some sort of divine prank i don't know yeah doesn't do it for me yeah it's me i mean and I, for the I right fully person admit, maybe yeah, and I fully my admit, monkeys aren't my jam i i will i will gush over the snakes all day long and monkeys i'm like oh Meh. yeah 
Well, I mean, have I got one more snake-like ancestry for you? And this may... I love this one, too. I know I've gushed about at least two of them at this point. But I really, really like the Vishkanya as well. They feel so alien, yet familiar in their, in their theming. Because they're like snake people that you can't quite tell they're snake people until you get real close. And they got like vertical pupils and very, very tiny scales for skin. They're neat. I think they're cool. S is another dexterity boost um, ancestry, and they get low light vision and have a feat that gives them dark vision. But I can see these in like a game where you're like a courtesan or you're doing some sort of uh, a diplomacy-based campaign or something. These guys feel very, oh, I'm a, I'm a vizier or I'm on the court and I'm giving advice. They don't feel so much like a combat class. These feel like they'd make a really cool rogue, though, I feel like. Yeah, they're unlike the Nagaji, they're you which are brutes. These things are, you know, way more agile. Most of their feats focus on their venom or the I think there's a few, you know, camouflage and hiding. So yeah, they they have a totally different feel. It's almost like if you were to, if you're familiar with more of the D&D side of Forgotten Realms, the Yontai, these two races kind of feel like how the Yontai are, where there's the pure bloods that look almost entirely human, and then the half bloods that are this combination of human and snake. And it's kind of like, I feel like what they did with these two different ancestries. These give me such a weird like vampiric feel to them, like the way that they're flavored and everything. They're not vampires by any means. They don't drink blood, but the way that they're characterized to me gives me a very like us, but not like us feel hiding in plain sight type thing. And I really dig it from a thematic perspective a lot. I, I think these are probably the coolest uh, ancestry in here thematically. And I, every level they have feats for making their venom stronger. So, right. yeah, that, the, the, yeah, you you can focus on that, you know, all day long. It's it's pretty cool, actually. So their 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 venom comes from their blood or their saliva and you have to have taken damage to be able to use the venom. I think there's a feat that allows you to use your saliva explicitly, um, but you have things that can make poisons debilitating. It's like the the. Was there a, like an assassin archetype or a poison master archetype? I can't remember. Yeah, the no, it's the assassin archetype. Yeah, the assassin archetype that'll allow you to do more with poisons. And this is inbuilt in this ancestry. And they've got some, you know, like swift application allows them to add venom to weapons. I mean, these are very much a subterfuge based ancestry. And I really, really like them. Yeah, they... They have a lot of cool abilities. And just like you said, that one where you can add your venom to a weapon. So if you're fo focusing on that, I don't know, these things just scream rogue for the most part. I think they're going to be so oh, excellent. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, you, sometimes there are these ancestries that are just like, nope, this is for this class. Here you go. Have fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is very much like that. I could see a swashbuckler using this as well. Very easily could see a swashbuckler. Oh, yeah. No, you you will be able to milk a lot more damage out of that. Yeah, because even if you just have the lesser enhanced venom, the level one feet, uh, it's against your your class DC. Um, 
which is really cool if you're a class that has a really fast class DC uh, track, like the Thaumaturge, which gets legendary at 14, I think. Legendary is 14 or 15 for a Thaumaturge. Mm-hmm. So fairly early. So you have against your class DC of Venom um, that even if you just get the base investment of it is a D6 of poison damage at stage one. Stage two is a D6. Stage three is 2D6 and it can last for up to six rounds. That's stacking a lot of damage for a first level feat. That's hard to shake off. Uh, There's a further on ancestry feat that you can get that makes the damage or the poison virulent as well. So it's harder to get rid of, and it progresses faster. Um, the debilitating venoms allow you to choose which debilitation you want to do. So you can like impart status conditions or speed penalties. Um, the stumbling debilitation after the, in stage two makes them flat-footed. It's just really cool. Yeah, I will say it. the only drawback to it, it's not really drawback, it's just a limitation. Your first use of Venom from the class or from the um, Ancestry is only once per day. But every time you take the feat that makes it more powerful, it moves up a step. So it goes from once a day to once per hour to once per 10 minutes to eventually once every minute, I think, at the, the 17th level one. Right. When you get that maximum enhanced Venom. Uh, this third stage of it does 11 D6 poison damage for up to six rounds. Wow. Yeah, and if you got there, you already did 76 and 96, so. <laughs> exactly, right? Yeah, uh, it's, it's great. I love this. These are really cool. Um, and that's the level 17. You can either take that one or you can take the vicious venom, and that's the one that makes the venom virulent. I love these things. I think they are cool. They are the, I think the, they're one of the few ancestries in here that has a feat that allow you to get dark vision. Uh, remember when we first started this and we were like, oh, yeah, you know, we could talk about these ancestries and then maybe this something else. And here we are, like almost an hour into this thing. And we just got through gushing right. over I, the ancestries. I know. <laughs> I know. We, we did a bad thing, Christian. I know. <laughs> You were like, okay, we're going to record this real fast because I got a pack to get out of town. Like, okay, cool. Yeah, we'll only do one tonight. <laughs> I loved it. I think it's great. No, yeah, this uh, this is actually this is such a great book. My favorite book since the last setting book. I love Paizo settings book. Yeah, they do such a good job with the setting book. Yeah, they 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 are great. Oh yeah, and we'll get to more of the stuff. There's a lot of stuff. We got animal companions. There's a there's some specific familiars in here. We've got a new gunslinger way. There's just so much that we're going to want to talk about and we will talk about. Yes, I cannot wait to talk about the Animal Companion in here because I was telling Trevor, I think this is the first time Paizo's kind of done something that, you know, they're saying, yeah, we can maybe make Animal Companions a little tougher. And so you guys need to tune in next time to hear what that is. (laughs) All right. So for this week on the Creator's Corner, thanks for coming by. I'm Trevor. And I'm Christian, and as always, you guys have a great week. Bye, y'all.